If you listen to the last episode of this show, Tech Talk, we discussed a lot of the technologies that are being adopted into our industry. And one of the concepts we teased you with was AR and VR. Now, many of you might think that this is very futuristic and ahead of its time, but I would disagree. And a perfect example of that is the Oculus 2 virtual reality system. Now, this just happened to be one of the largest gifts in the most recent holiday season. They sold over 4 million units with an introduction price of just $300. So if you're one of those that thinks that these are ideas and concepts that don't belong in the space, well, I think you'll see differently. Because on this episode, I meet with Kevin Hart of Ariel, and we talk about how they are using augmented reality in the construction process today and how they're using that technology for building the future. This is the Building the Future podcast. I am your host, the Lumberjack, Brett Thorne. On this show, we explore topics including construction, building materials, real estate, remodeling, the housing market, industry news, new products and trends, technology, government, everything you need for building the future. Welcome back to the Building the Future podcast. As always, I am your host, Brett Thorne. And a topic that is very inclusive of the future and how the future is going to be built is technology. Now, despite how much our industry resists it, technology is a part of everything. And we've got to learn to grasp it and accept it as we move forward. And today I am meeting with an individual that is leading the technology charge for our industry. From Ariel, I have with me today, Mr. Kevin Hart. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Brett, for having me. I'm really excited to be here today and share what it is we're accomplishing with Ariel and how it can benefit the industry. Great. Well, I want to go ahead and start off, Kevin, just to kind of get to know you a little bit better. And I would tell people just to go out and Google Kevin Hart. But I'm afraid that, uh, that they're maybe not going to find you on the first or the second page. <laughs> yes, apparently, there's some guy out there that, uh, I don't know, some Hollywood wannabe that, that shares the name with you, I guess. I don't know. But anyway, I, I always put Kevin J. Hart. The, the there you go. It makes me unique. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So if you don't mind, take a couple minutes here. Kind of tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit of your background and history, Kevin. For sure. So... Um, I've always been an entrepreneur in some capacity in my life, um, starting from a very young age and always had a big drive for technology. But when I was in school, I got um, education in business psychology and neuroscience and a focus on user experience design. 
So my background actually has nothing related to real estate development or AEC entirely. My background is in user experience design and how to form positive habits in people through the use of technology. So it's like, how did we get to where we are today? Well, <clears throat> I've always been passionate about technology, as I mentioned. And when I came out of school, um, there's this technology that was really in, in its infancy called augmented reality. And at the time, you could only scan a QR code with the phone, have a little 3D model tied to it, and that was it. Your experience was limited to the dimensions that your camera could recognize. And so using my user experience background and facing the challenge of how to remove the limitations of just scanning a QR code is where the idea for Arial was born. And so knowing that this had so much potential, I completely dedicated myself to this and have been growing the company uh, for over the last nine years now. Okay, so talking about augmented reality, Kevin, let's let's take a couple steps back. Let's give it to me at a third grade level. What is augmented reality? Sure, and I think that's a really good question to ask because a lot of people hear it as common language today. It's almost like a buzzword, and they often get it confused with virtual reality too. So there's a pretty distinct difference between the two. Um, one thing that kind of irks me is that augmented reality is generally associated with things like Pokemon Go, for instance. It's seen as a novelty. And um, really, when you get under the hood of what augmented reality is, there's an immense amount of value that's added by this technology. So what is augmented reality? Augmented reality, by definition, is when you can superimpose or place digital content over your real-world environment and view it through the use of technology, meaning things like tablets or smartphones, so iPads, iPhones, et cetera. So meaning you can hold it up, it uses your camera, you can't see anything in the real world with the naked eye, but when you hold up your device that's using your camera, you can see something that looks like it exists in your real world. So it's almost like this lens into a portal, into a world that you can't see with the naked eye. Now, what's different about augmented reality versus virtual reality is augmented reality, it works with your existing world, you can walk around it and still be in your natural environment, where a virtual reality, you're having to put on a headset that puts you in a completely different world, where oftentimes you're having to sit within a chair, use a video game controller to navigate, etc. Where augmented reality, you don't have to do that. It's more natural. You can walk around and you certainly don't have to deal with the motion sickness component that virtual reality often has. You know, and, and something that I think about when I think about augmented reality, I remember, and I'm going to date myself here a little bit, I had a, a, a Pontiac Grand Prix, and it was a, I don't know, 95 or 97, I can't remember, but it, it's, it's, it was a day or two old, and it, I haven't had it for a while now. But I remember it had a heads-up display, it was what they called it, the heads-up display on the windshield. And what it was, it was basically just a little projector right up there in the dash, and then on the driver's side of the windshield at the very lowest part of the windshield and you could move it you could change the brightness and all that i mean it, it still had a lot of restrictions but it, it was right there in your windshield that showed you a lot of data it showed you your miles per hour it showed you your fuel range if you had controllers on your like you have now on your steering wheel for your radio and all that stuff and of course it had a cd player because that's what you had in cars back in the late 90s but, you know, as you were changing music, you know, whether changing the radio station or skipping songs on the CD, it would give you all that information right there on your windshield. So you never had to take your eyes off of the view out your windshield to see what you were doing. 
And I thought that was the greatest technology ever. And it was one of those things that I guess that's kind of in my mind, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but that is kind of an augmented process to where, you know, you're seeing through the windshield, but yet you've still got these data points right there on the glass and you can see right through them. Yeah. Well, I'll talk about a technology before it's time, right? Having that in a car at that time is pretty state of the art considering they're adding it back to some vehicles even today. Well, I know. And I was shocked that, I mean, I've had probably three or four vehicles since then and none of them have had, and they're all newer and none of them have had that technology. And I'm like, I'm like, why is this not, you know, standard operating procedures in vehicles? Because honestly, I thought it was one of the safest things out there because, and again, like I said, it was at the very bottom part of the windshield. So it's not like it was distorting your view of what was ahead of you because it was really, you know, it was kind of like over the hood of the car. As you look through it, you would see the hood of the car, basically, and everything above it was the road and everything there. But like I said, you never had to take your eyes off of the road when you wanted to change songs or change stations on the radio or when you needed to look at how fast you were going. It was all right there in front of you. I mean, I just thought it was the the, the neatest thing ever. And I thought it was the future then, but yet for some reason it, it died out. But I'm glad to hear that it's coming back. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think it was interesting that you brought up heads up displays because that was a great catalyst into augmented reality. And to your point about it not being so much of a distraction, it's one of the main reasons that fighter pilots still have heads up displays on their helmets that they're wearing within a cockpit. So the difference though, is when it comes to a heads up display versus augmented reality is generally the data on a heads up display is in two dimensions. So you have like those flat numbers, like the miles per hour that you were seeing, for instance. Mm -hmm. With augmented reality, you're actually getting a full 3D asset that looks like it truly does coexist with reality. So in our case, and not to put the cart before the horse here, but we can make it look like a structure actually is fully built, constructed, and existing on the set of land within the desired build lines with AR, where you can walk up around it and interact with it as though it's there where a heads-up display technology doesn't offer that capability. Understandable. Yeah. And now that you talk about it and you reference it that way, I, I can clearly see, pun intended, obviously, what you're talking about because <laughs> of thinking about that two-dimensional, you know, looking at the windshield. So, you know, back on the augmented reality, you know, and, and it obviously sounds like there's a lot of great features and benefits from it. You know, what are some of the other benefits or the important factors of augmented reality that people need to know as they are educating themselves or as they are learning more about it? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And what the common misconception is that augmented reality won't get traction until there's wearables or we're going to have these big fancy glasses and everything. But the fact of the matter is, is that the primary technology that augmented reality works on, meaning like tablets and smartphones, everybody nearly has. And so we can go ahead and start having these use cases that are providing value today. So we don't have to wait five years for wearables to come out. We can offer that value as it is today. So I always like to put that out there as that first blanket statement. So how does augmented reality then play into the industry, Kevin? Absolutely. So the way that we actually often introduce the technology to people and then sell it to them is we say for all of time, people will design a structure, you build it, and then people experience it. Now, for the first time with Ariel's technology, you would design it, experience it, and then build it. So that shift right there between switching those last two makes all the difference because it allows people to, one, articulate their vision when designing a space, when the general population can't look at a floor plan and actually understand how it's going to look, the scale of it, 
what the flow is going to be. And then two, it creates what we call unified expectations, which leads to project success. So say, Brett, that you're the architect, I'm your client, I don't know what this is going to look like. I want to make sure the product project's going to be right and that we're not going to have a ton of changes. By me being able to fully experience and physically walk through the design you've created, we can make all the changes and adjustments to a 3D model. Pixels are always cheaper than bricks. So let's make all the changes there, have a unified expectation we're going to sign off on, and then it's going to be smoother sailing ahead. So when we're talking about an augmented 3D model there, what about as far as your location, your global location, your longitude and latitude? Do you have the capabilities of putting those models in certain places? Uh, you know, for instance, a commercial project or even a residential project going on a piece of land. Can you set that there on that land to have that experience before the construction ever starts so you know how that is going to lay? I am very glad that you brought that up because that is the one piece of uh, our technology that is substantially different than anybody else. We have seven global patents on our technology that have been granted to us. And one of our primary ones is the ability to place augmented reality content based off of longitude, latitude, and altitude coordinates that we could do it with nearly millimeter level precision globally. So both indoor and outdoor, no additional hardware required. So when you're talking about precisely putting a structure within the desired build lines, we can have it at the right surveyed accuracy where it's placed there. So all you do is open up the device and it's right where it needs to be. And now the other part of it too is not only can we have it pre-placed at the right coordinates, but say you're a home buyer and you're looking at a lot where you want to place your house, you can actually tap to place it and it'll recognize the coordinates you're tapping at. And then you can move the structure in around the build lines that have been outlined by a surveyor. So you can see where your house might be positioned the best way to have the optimal yard space. Wow. So what about even like maybe rotating? So, okay, you know, we think we want the front facing this way, but no, we actually want the front, you know, at 20 or 30 degrees uh, in a different direction. Does it have the capability to do that? 100%. So you can shift it around, back, forward, left, right, rotate, etc. And when it even comes down to it, you might want to be making adjustments based off of the way your master bedroom is and the way that the morning sun's going to rise. So we even have simulations that take in location, time of day, position of the sun. So you get real-time lighting, real-time shadows, and even can run simulations on the way that light affects that property as well. Okay. So I love that idea. Let's run with that just a little bit. You know, so let's think about that master bedroom and let's think about, you know, that view that you're going to have every morning when you wake up. So in this augmented model, do you have the capabilities to be standing in your master bedroom and be looking out windows to say, okay, this is the view if the bedroom is here. Or if we move the bedroom, we flip the, the, the print and we put the bedroom on the other side, can you then say, okay, if we do flip the print and we put the master on the other side, this would be our view. Do you have those capabilities from what the internal of the structure would look like? Absolutely. And even more so. So when you're on the internal of a structure, one, you like, as I mentioned, you could physically walk through it. You could do a method of moving through it. We call it teleport where you could just tap anywhere on the floor and it'll jump you to that location or you have literally what's like video game controllers on the screen where you can kind of fly through the space as well. 
But while you're in there, you could see the view that you would have out of the window on that specific property. And you could also customize everything in the house. So say it was a house, we can connect to a design center. You can swap out your floors, your countertop, your backsplash, anything you want to make sure you see what that house is really going to come to life and look like. So when you say, and I'm going to package this up the best I can in both yeah. for you. So when you say the experience, you are talking about the full experience, the exterior, the location, the interior, the finish. When I, when you tell somebody you're going to give them the experience of a structure, what are, what are you missing? What don't you have to offer to them, Kevin? So that's one thing that we kind of challenge ourselves on every day is how robust can we make this experience to what the actual final product is going to look like? Because we want it to be that seamless. We want to people, people to have confidence and what it is they're either buying, they're leasing, they're becoming a tenant, and we want them to have 100% accuracy on what that final space is going to look like. So we thought about everything, as I mentioned, from the natural lighting effects. We have something that's called true light, where you can assign the type of bulb, the hue and wattage in a light fixture to see how it accurately will illuminate a space with artificial light. We take in our materials and we run it through what's called an enhanced realism engine. So you have the whole experience is the same quality as a single rendered image, but it's in full 3D processed real time on the device. So at any time you could take as many pictures or videos as you want that you could share on social media or with family members. And uh, I mean, we even can outfit it with furniture where you can essentially have the whole scene staged. You could take it away, you can see dimensions. You name it, the capability is there. We even have it where if you're, say, for instance, we're in Texas and we have a lot of people from California moving to North Texas right now where we're located. If somebody is in California and is looking at a community, like a master plan community in North Texas, for our premier clients, we actually have drone photogrammetry that will scan the entire community ahead of time so that when you're in California, you can experience the whole community at scale, pick your lot, place your house and customize your house. And the whole entire experience feels like you're in the community here in North Texas, but you can literally be out in California. So it really takes engagement and experience and even realism to the next level. You know, even the word photogrammetry takes it to the next level. I don't even know if I've even heard that term before. <laughs> so for those of you that don't know what photogrammetry is, it actually is when any camera for that matter, but we do it from a drone, where it takes a series of pictures and based off the angles where it's taking all of the pictures, it stitches them together and it will create um, a 3D model with centimeter level accuracy. And so we know the full topography of the, of the community, what existing structures, structures are there. It will actually create the 3D model of it as well. So you get the full experience like you're physically walking throughout that community as well. And I know we've talked a lot about residential here. Yeah. You guys offer commercial projects as well, correct? Yeah. So one of my favorite examples to talk about in commercial is like the building of um, let's say like new condos or even better yet, let's talk about office space and getting tenants to commit before a structure is built. So generally in commercial build, you have gray box, white box and spec suite tiers. You know, gray box is when it's the metal studs, cause virtually nothing for the developer to do, but the potential tenant doesn't understand the space still. White box is exactly what it sounds like where you have the drywall up, you can see the general shape of the room, 
but it's still tough to picture where your uh, conference rooms are going to be, your kitchenette, where the cubicles are going to be. It's tough to kind of see what that space plan is going to be, but that's going to cost the developer still around 10 to $15 a square foot to outfit that on Class A property. And then when it comes to um, a spec suite, the developer is looking at making an $85 to $90 a square foot investment, creating the entire um, conference rooms, kitchen, getting it ready so it's anybody can move in on the day they sign. Problem is, is when you have a long-term tenant sign on at a spec suite, oftentimes they'll come back and say, if I'm going to sign this long-term lease, I want this change, this change, this change. So the developer's actually losing an immense amount of money on that. What we can do is before you even break ground, knowing that that full structure, the design of it, where all the suites are going to be, you can allow somebody to fully customize their spec suite. So you're not building a spec suite getting for, for them to move into, you're building a suite to spec. So they're designing it ahead of time, they're signing the commitment, and then you're building the structure. So it's taking a lot of the risk off of the developer's hands. Yeah, and I would have to think it takes a lot of the expenses out too, especially for those change orders, because with the finished project, now that they have to go back and, and cater to that customer in order to get them in there, that, that, that tenant, I guess, to say, okay, you know, I'm going to come to your location, but this is what you need to do for me. Absolutely. And it's good that you bring up change orders. You know, general industry data says about 18% of capital expenditure on a project says that um, it's wasted due to change orders and rework. So the data off of our project show that we significantly reduce that percentage because of those unified expectations of what that final project's going to look like. Setting those expectations ahead of time also allows for the building crews to reduce the number of times they have to stop and start again because it's smooth sailing ahead, knowing exactly what it is they have to complete. So now that we're kind of talking about the the process, you know, the change orders, the traditional processes that people know in this industry, where does Ariel fall into the process of a construction project? Mm -hmm. So best part is, is the earliest time you can get us in we offer more value throughout the entire development duration. We could still come in at any time, but the sooner the better. I mean, from the time that you're literally evaluating the land or the position of a building or even doing essentially like A-B test of different structures and configurations you would want within that property, that is the best time to bring us in because we can affect every single process uh, going there forward, even when it comes to zoning. Being able to show a zoning committee what a structure isn't just going to look like at a spot, but allow them to come out and experience how it plays nice with the neighbors, how it doesn't affect the views of their neighbors, how um, it's not reflecting light on them in an uncomfortable fashion. Getting them to experience that structure there before it's ever built also helps with things like zoning approval. So there's a lot of steps that we help with ahead of time that isn't just around the time of selling, but even comes from a time of getting certain approvals or permits that are necessary as well. So could we say that, and I, and I love how we phrase that with the earlier, the better, but could we even say this could be potentially one of the very first steps in a project? Absolutely. And so even when people don't have a finished 
design of what a structure is going to be, we'll say we'll put what's called like a monopoly piece there. So it's a very basic geometry of general footprint and height of a structure. And you can start kind of previewing it and manipulating it within that space. That way you know what changes you want made. So you don't have to have a finished design with all the right materials. Start out when you're in that conceptual design phase and then let's work together going forward. And what are all the channels you work with in the design process? Are you working with the architects and the engineers and the designers, or are you guys providing some of those services yourself? No. So we're working with everybody else. So the one thing I will tell everybody is we aren't the architects on our end. We aren't the engineers in their typical fashion. We're software engineers. But what we really specialize in is identifying the problems within the industry and applying the technology and creating solutions to solve it. So we work with the architects, we work with the engineers around 3D coordination, we take in BIM data, we work with every single uh, head that's going to be touching this project, and but we offer the services to make it possible. What aren't you offering then? That's a good question. It's one of the things that we always are challenging ourselves to kind of push to the next level and help people understand even more. Um, we, we already offer the ability to take in any kind of format of file, whether it's flat CAD or you have Revit or SketchUp, we accept all of that. We even give you over 70 different metrics that are measured in real time related to human behavior, engagement, and geo-intelligence. So you know how people are interacting and with that property and even how they're flowing through it. We're trying to ch check off every box as possible, but what we don't know is what we don't know. And what I mean by that is we allow the industry to give us the feedback saying, hey, this would really help us. And that actually drives our roadmap. If we lived in a vacuum of our own thoughts and said, oh, this will be really good. This will help solve this problem. As I mentioned, none of us are architects by trade. We're not real estate developers. We allow the industry to actually drive our roadmap. So we won't know what it is we don't offer or what we don't solve until we actually hear those individual pieces of feedback. And that's how we've grown the business to what we have today. What have been some of the biggest complications that you have encountered in this process of where you're at now? Now, that is an excellent question. And is it comes down to education. You know, as I mentioned very early on in this podcast, there's this misconception that augmented reality is a novelty or just another buzzword. But when you actually prove that there's value behind something, or I like to use the analogy of a vitamin versus a painkiller, there's generally this misconception that augmented reality is a vitamin. It's a nice to have. Um, it's a novelty in some regards. But what we're serving up is a painkiller, something that's actually solving a, a problem offering a solution that really changes in uh, workflow and makes it more efficient and effective. So being able to communicate that to people, get them to understand the value, um, that's the biggest part is having the platform to educate and share the value that augmented reality can offer. But the biggest thing that educates people more than anything is when they sign up for a demo and they get to see it firsthand, the light bulb turns on and then they start thinking about all the possible ways that they can apply it to solve their own problems. I love your analogies. Those are spot on. Those are such real world <laughs> analogies, a, a vitamin versus a painkiller. So, I mean, 
Everybody can grasp that. That, that is perfect. Well done. I and wish I came up with it. I didn't. I've heard it. From <laughs> it was hey, run with it, man. Steal it and run with it. That's okay. So talking about signing up for a demo, how do customers or how do listeners or potential customers go about that and or get in contact with Ariel to find out more? 100%. Um, I would recommend going to Ariel.com. Go on there. We have a lot of information about the company, but most importantly, in the upper right, there's a button for you to sign up for a demo, and it gives you direct access to our Calendly, where you can book a time that's most convenient for you. We'll jump on a Zoom, and we'll actually do a full screen share and walk you through a demo and answer any questions you ask. One thing I always like to put out there is that this is an educational resource, too. Don't like feel like it's going to be a pressured sale. We care about getting to know about you as people and then forming long-term relationships built on trust with one another. So come out, get to know us, get familiar with the technology. And then when you're ready to take next steps, we're there to help you. And talking about, you know, the education. And, and as we talked about, you know, there's a lot of hands in the project. Is your education, is it available for everybody? You know, maybe for your... You obviously your architects, but your your homeowners, your end users, and then your contractors, your laborers. Is there a specific field that maybe does not apply to this, or is this applicable across all channels of the project? I think that's a really good question, Brett, and I appreciate you bringing that up because right now the way our business is structured is we're technically a B to B to C, a business to business to consumer. And so right now, for the people who are signing up to the demo, I would recommend being that business tier. The end customer, um, say it's a potential homeowner that's going to be working with a production home builder, it wouldn't be probably the most ideal today for them to reach out for us unless they're bringing their builder along with us, which would be excellent. But for that matter, it would be more somebody who works within that production builder that would be ideal to sign up for that demo because ultimately they're offering it to their target customers. So what I mean by that is we offer it as a white label solution. So say production home builder ABC signs up for a demo, they want to move forward with us. What we actually do is we generate for them their very own app that's completely with their own logos, their own branding, their fonts, their colors. It looks entirely like their own app, but we're powering it for them. And in that app, you not only get the augmented experience, but any other collateral that they have as a business that they want to live, have live on there as a marketing tool, they have the ability to do so as well. So that's what we say, like, go ahead and have the business come to us because we're really here to make them look like the superhero and offer the best experience to their end customer. Okay. And the website, Ariel.com, best way to connect? Yep. Reach out on there and sign up for a demo. If you want to reach out to me directly, you can email me at khart, H-A-R-T, at Ariel, A-I-R-E-A-L dot I-L. It's a little weird because the domain name's a little different. We haven't switched the emails over since we got the dot com. So it's Ariel dot I-L is the end of my email. And then, of course, I'm very active on LinkedIn. If you want to find me on there, Brett, as you mentioned, my name is Kevin Hart. So don't just search Kevin Hart. Search Kevin J. Hart uh, and you'll find me pretty quickly. And I'll put all that information in the show notes. For any listeners out there. And Kevin, before I let you go, do you have any closing thoughts for the listeners? 
I would highly encourage anybody who has any interest in moving their business forward, introducing new technology that reduces the number of barriers it takes to adopt a new technology, sign up for a demo, be curious, explore the possibilities here, and just learn more about the technology. Even if it isn't specifically aerial, we're here to be this resource to help introduce technology into these industries and even bring them to the new age. Kevin, I want to thank you again for taking time today and for everything that you and Ariel are doing for building the future. Thank you, Brian. I really appreciate you giving us the opportunity to share this and hopefully change the process for a lot of people. This is the Building the Future podcast. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe. Please like and share. You can find out more at our website, www.buildingthefuturepodcast.com. Together we are building the future.